0: what's up guys welcome back to another episode of niche radio hello hello welcome back to another episode of niche radio i'm your host kyle Nichin. And this is a podcast on personal and professional development. Today, we have an amazing guest speaker and interviewee on this podcast. His name is Jason Gardner. Jason is a former U.S. Navy SEAL combat leader and now leadership instructor and speaker with Echelon Front. Jason spent nearly three decades in the SEAL teams with nine deployments across the globe. After his retirement in the U.S. Navy, Jason brings his experience with combat leadership in in dynamic environments, building winning teams, and developing relationships across all levels of an organization. He now serves as a leadership instructor, speaker, and strategic advisor at Echelon Front. I met Jason sometime last year. About seven to eight months ago, my company hosted an annual retreat in the mountains of Utah where we Get together once a year and we discuss training, um, best practices, how to get better, how to improve, and where we're going as a company. I was asked at the time to find a guest speaker for that retreat and I turned to Echelon Front. I knew of Echelon Front through Jocko. I'm not sure if you've listened to some of his podcasts or read his books. If you haven't, I strongly suggest you check them out. Jocko is an excellent resource for all things leadership and discipline. Jason did a fantastic job that day when he came and spoke to my company. We talk a lot about the things he talked about in that speech in this conversation. Things like leadership, the dichotomy of leadership, leading your kids, your family, extreme ownership, detaching from the details and emotions, and also leading in dynamic environments, kind of like the one that we're in with, with COVID and in quarantine and things of that nature. So I'm really excited. I hope you guys get a lot out of this episode. And if you do, please remember, subscribe to this show on iTunes and, and share it with your friends so we can get more of this content out to more people. So without further ado, please help me welcome Jason Gardner. Thanks. Well, Jason, thank you for coming to the podcast and jumping on and spending some time with us. Really appreciate it. It means the world. So for an introduction, why don't we just start with the intro and a little bit about yourself. I call it the origin story. So why don't you walk us through the, the key highlights from uh, you know starting and getting into the Navy and leading to what you're doing right now as a leadership instructor with, with Echelon Front.
1: Sure. Uh, my father was a Marine, and I grew up, as a result of that, I grew up in Southern California. He was able to manage his career in, in, in ways that he bounced between uh, several of the Marine bases there. And so I grew up in San Clemente, California. Um, knew I always wanted to join the military, but kind of focused in on the SEAL teams as I got into high school and decided, well, that's that's the route I wanted to go. So straight out of high school, I joined the Navy, then uh, went to my A school, then joined the 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 SEAL teams. And it was only going to be like a four-year hitch, and it wound up being a 30-year career for me. Mm-hmm. I did. Uh, I had broken service. I got out when I had 12 years in because the 90s were really strange. There wasn't, you know, there was some operations going on, but there wasn't anything like what we see today. So I was looking at doing something after the SEAL teams. I got out for a little bit, uh, got divorced from my wife at the time, and then then came right back in and didn't look back after mm-hmm. that. Boy, that 30 years seems to have gone by fast. N- did that, and then uh, having known Jocko Willink for, you know, I – first met him in 1993 and we've been good friends since then i got the opportunity to come on with echelon front as a leadership instructor so since since i retired we left san diego uh my wife iris and and the kids storm and thor we moved up to northeastern washington we live in a real rural area which is you know kind of we've got a homestead thing going on up here Mm -hmm. and i'm traveling around doing leadership instruction because uh you know we say at echelon front all problems are solved through leadership.
0: Yep. That's it. That's cool. Thank you for sharing. One of the things I get asked a question a lot is, is like, how did you find your, your purpose, you know, or like what you wanted to do in life? And I was just curious, was that the case for you? Did you always know that you wanted to be a Navy SEAL or in combat? Or was it kind of like, for me, I know it was like, I had to just move forward in a direction and then kind of like find meaning and and lean into my strengths on on the path I was going on. I was just curious if that was if that was similar for your case. I always knew that I was going to do the
1: military. Uh mm-hmm. and so that was something I knew I was going to do. Initially I didn't plan on it being a career. Mm-hmm. I just thought I was going to do a hitch and get out and then like you said I kind of like moved in a direction and then Focused and, and kept getting it. So that I knew that I wanted to be, after that, working for everything, work in the outdoors. And, uh, you know, I thought it's something I would be do like a forester or an ecologist or a farmer, which is kind of a hybrid of the three things now other than doing the, the leadership instruction. So like, like you said, like I had a very hard drive early on, which a lot of people don't have that knew I wanted to join the military, but to your point, been doing the same thing where I just kind of go in a direction of something that I'm passionate about and then focus my interest as I go and, and and follow those purposes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I I don't think it's most of the time it's, it's not as cut and clear as, is, Oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is, you kind of just got to keep taking steps and, and, and adjusting and pivoting along the way, at least what I found. I agree. Um, yeah. So with three decades in the SEAL teams and nine deployments and in the context of leadership, what was, can you share one experience that that really taught you something about leadership that could apply to business and life?
1: Yeah. In my 2009 deployment to Afghanistan, which was my most violent and intense deployment the, of of all five of my combat deployments. There were some that came pretty close, but that was, no, by far and away, that was the most crazy. And I was a SEAL task unit uh, senior enlisted advisor. That meant for the SEAL task unit, two SEAL platoons, I was the right-hand man of the task unit commander. Typically, this can be an administrative role but because our task unit was going in the field as an entire task unit, it became a tactical role, and I was really lucky that that happened to be the case for my deployment. We had an operation in uh, Zari Panjwe, which is uh, you know it's outside of Kandahar, really really bad area. It was one of the few areas where the Taliban would actually come at us at night, uh, and usually I didn't do that because you know we had the we had night vision we had. Aircraft overhead was not something they did. And we were doing an operation with the the DEA FAST teams, which they don't have them anymore, but the DEA used to have this, like, small team of 8 to 12 guys. It was kind of like a miniature SEAL platoon that would go out and go after some of the, the heavy-duty drug cartel type of things that are out there. We did a lot of work with them in Afghanistan because the Taliban funds war with drug money. So it's, they're either growing uh, poppies for opium. And then when that season's done, they till all that stuff in the ground and then they're growing marijuana and selling it internationally to fund the war. We use their helicopters because they had their own helicopters and it, in Afghanistan, you were much better off using helos as opposed to driving anywhere because the IED, the improvised explosive device threat, was so huge because there were so few roads that they could just literally have all of them mined and waiting for you to drive down them. So you know it's better off to just fly in by helo. There's helos up there, get inserted, and then come in. You know they couldn't predict where you were coming from. Well, the 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 Mi-17s weren't allowed to fly at night, so on this operation, we had to come in at first light and then get extracted before it got dark, where the playing field is even for the Taliban. So we go in, we're inserted like two kilometers away from these set of compounds that we assess where these bad people were at. Uh, patrol in, take the compounds, hold them. By 10 a.m. in the morning, we are in a giant firefight, completely surrounded, 360. It lasted all day. And when we extracted that evening, it was a hot extract. And what that means is we're under fire and they land right next to the two compounds. And my job as a leader is to make sure that all of my troops get onto that helicopter. So I'm the first guy to the helicopter, the last guy to get in it. Mm
0: -hmm. So I'm
1: counting bodies as the guys are climbing on the helo. And when I get a full head count for all the guys I'm supposed to have on that helo, I give the crew chief a thumbs up and we take off. Well, by the time it's time for me to get on the helo, There aren't any seats. They're like these seats that just fold down and everyone was kind of, we weren't packed as tight. It wasn't an organized, there were no seats left for me or seat belts. So I just Mm -hmm. had to hop on the ramp with my legs dangling over the edge of the ramp and my arms hooked through the legs of other guys that are in actual seats so that we could take off and get out of there. Well, how does that tie into leadership? it ties into leadership in that as a leader, that team needs to come before you do as the leader. And the interests of the team are more important than whatever your personal interests are. And in that moment taking off, that was a decision that I just made instinctually, but it occurred to me that you know, this is the right thing to do. You know, the Marine Corps has got a great thing with this. They force their, they tell their officers, you're the last one to eat, right? And Mm -hmm. that to put the team in front of themselves. And so that's just a great story backing up that aspect of leadership and in where the team, the team comes first.
0: Yes. Yes. Excellent. Thank you. And from my experience as well in in the short uh, amount of time I've been in a leadership role i've been that has been my foundation is just putting putting uh, the team and the mission first you'll
1: find that when you actually believe that your team will notice that and their trust and respect for you will just go yeah. through the roof and they'll basically do almost anything that you ask of them because they know that you're you're not just doing it for yourself, but for the the interest as a team as a whole.
0: Yep, yep. You have your people's best interest in mind. Yep, that is where it comes from. Next question: Can you elaborate on the laws of combat and how they relate to leadership in business? It's one thing to read it in a book, and 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 that's great and all. Those those are excellent, but hearing it from somebody who's lived it. Been in combat? Can we go through what each of the laws of combat are and a little bit about them, how they relate to the business world?
1: Sure. Uh, so the laws of combat actually they repl- relate to everything, and Jocko developed them after his first or or his uh, his last deployment to Ramadi, where they were inv- Task Unit Bruiser was involved in the Battle of Ramadi, and there were some things that became apparent to him and after that he took over the training for the west coast seal teams and uh after watching a seal task unit do real poorly on one of their field training exercises he went back to his room and he thought okay what are the core competencies what are the main things that the guys are doing incorrectly or could do better out and 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 how could he put that in 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 a way that's simple for folks to understand and that they could use as a framework work for how they run their their teams and how you can run your organization and everything so let's the, let's go over the four of them the first one mm-hmm. is cover and move the second one is simple the third is prioritize and execute and the fourth one is decentralized command now One through three, cover and move, simple, prioritize and uh, execute, kind of overlay and they're all interconnected to give you the ability to get to the decentralized command portion. And as I go through these now, we're going to talk about how they apply to to business, but you know, parenting as well, because parenting is just leadership. So Mm -hmm. cover and move, cover and move is a straight up gunfighting tactic we use it in the military and that's where one element lays down suppressive fire cover to keep the enemy's head down so that the other element can move forward Mm -hmm. in a word it's teamwork everybody works together and if the and but you have to remember that if the team fails everybody fails and where A lot of organizations and the SEAL teams are no different than this. Where they fall short on cover and move is that they get in their little silos and they work well together as their team or their department or their office or their shift. And then they're not working well and their friction points and animosities between the other teams, departments, shifts, uh, whatever you've got set up. And and I don't care what your organization is. There are different aspects of it. And those friction points hurt the team as a whole. You know, there's a, a, in the construction industry, you've got engineers. A lot of times they were sitting back in an office and then you've got people out in the field that are actually doing the work and there are friction points. And the people out in the field will complain about the plans they get from the engineers, but then they never bother to tell the engineers where their plans are falling short and giving the engineers the feedback mm-hmm. uh, in parenting. If the, the parents aren't working together and on the same page, they're not going to do the best job that they can as parents. If they're not involved with the kids, teachers and coaches you're not, you're not maximizing and making the most efficient thing that you can do to raise those children to be adults. Mm-hmm. So cover move is, is teamwork, you know, and about that, it means, hey, maybe you check your ego a little bit and you support the other team because it's for the greater good. If you're at a company that manufactures something and your salespeople aren't doing a good job, does that just hurt the sales department or does it hurt the entire company? It hurts the entire company. Mm -hmm. If you're parenting and one parent is undercutting the other parent or you're not on the same page, is it just hurting that one parent? No, it's, it's really hurting everybody. So you have to keep that in mind and you'll find that when you're the kind of coworker or teammate or team member that is, looking to see where they can help the other teams that in the end, when you need help, those other teams are going to help you almost every time. The percentages are so high that there's no argument against doing it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Simple. Simple means that you simplify your overall goal and you break it down in the simplest, most clinical, Uh, clear, concise terms that you can, because it keeps you focused on what that goal is, and it helps you problem solve and decision make. Now, the other part is simple is that when you're communicating your overall goal to your team members, you need to check for comprehension. And by that, I mean, ask them to see if you're doing a good enough job communicating to them what the overall goal is.
0: Mm -hmm. Like, ask them, I, like, am, do you understand this? Or, like, you know, question them after instructing them? Is that an exactly? Absolutely.
1: And, and let me – so that's a tricky thing to do because it's hard to do that without sounding condescending. And I'm going to give you an example of how I did it as a tactical leader on the battlefield. Uh, after we do a target assault, we have um, – uh, we, we had procedures that we would do after the target is secure. So we had, you know, target secure post, post mission procedures. There's all these things that we had to do by searching the target and then dealing with all the people that we found on the target and separating them. And that was one of the most complicated things that we had to do after target was secure was dealing with all these people. You know, we had people that were We knew were hostile. We had people that we'd killed. We had women and children. We had people that were unknown and so it's really a complicated aspect of it and there would be a group a fire team that was responsible for managing that and so after i'd give my brief when i had a a fire team a new fire team leader or someone that was new at running that aspect we called it Mako, but it was just dealing with all the people on target i would say to them After I give the brief as the senior enlisted advisor, like, hey, here's everything that we're doing on target, I would say, uh, and let's just say the fire team leader's name is John. I would say, hey, John, I've been really working hard on my communication. I don't know that I'm all that good at it. So it would be helpful to me if you could repeat back to me in your own words what your jobs are and, and what your, what things you're going to do after we call target secure and you sorting out all the people in target Mm. and have them repeat it back to me. And if he does it wrong, I keep in my head, that's my fault. It's not Mm. John's fault because he doesn't understand it. It's my fault. And this is extreme. You know, this is practicing extreme ownership because I either didn't, explain it in a way that John could understand, or I didn't spend enough time training John or something. So then I go back to the drawing board and I get John up to speed so that he can run it. But that's how you ask. You want to build an organization where people are comfortable asking questions. Mm -hmm. And if your answer is because I told you so, or that's because, or this is how we've always done it, then that should be an alarm bell to you that, that you're being lazy. That's what it is. And look and see if, Hey, why am I telling you to do it this way? And is there a better way to do it? Mm-hmm. Because one thing we know is that the organization that doesn't change dies. And it's not likely that me being in the Navy for 30 years is going to come up with any new groundbreaking ideas. Is it? No, yep. my younger people or new people are likely to be the ones that are going to think outside the box and i need to be open to those new ideas and then apply my experience to them and say hey is this something that might work and then if it does and i don't have a good reason why we can't change things like hey there's a legal issue with it or there's a safety issue with it let them try those new ideas Now, let me take this back to parenting. Okay. Uh, A couple, four months ago, and I'm still in law combat number two, simple. uh, My wife, Iris, and I decided, hey, what is our end state for raising our children? And and we we discussed this for a couple days. And what we came down to was that we want to raise kind, confident, competent adults. Okay, that's pretty simple. That's our goal, that's our end state. We wanna raise kind, confident, competent adults. And so now that we know that's our end state, when we make decisions as parents, we use that as the sounding board for these decisions we're going to make and say, hey, is this leading us down the right direction? So solving all our problems for our kids, is not going to make them confident or competent at all, is it? So helping them solve their own problems for the most part and giving them as much ownership as we can is the best we're going to, we can do to that. So for instance, Iris started teaching the kids to cook when they were really young. They can go from start to finish. They're nine and, and eight right now. They can cook an egg you know and they could, there's a lot of stuff that they can cook themselves did they make a lot of messes up front yes but that's that's fine now they're able to to cook their own food you know if we don't have time to cook for them or whatever and uh what's more when they cook their own food they eat it i don't have to struggle with them getting them to eat their food because they just you know whenever they cook it they clean that stuff up mm-hmm. so that's law combat number 2 law combat number 3 is uh, prioritize and execute and what that means is you lay out everything that y'all everything that you've got in front of you whatever you need to do you prioritize it and then you work on whatever the priorities are okay that's simple not easy right It, it requires that you're able to detach from whatever you've got going on and step back a little bit to get the big view so you can actually see what all of your priorities are and then rack and stack them and focus on them. And detachment is by no means easy and it takes a lot of practice. The two things you gotta detach from are the details and emotion. What does details mean? Details is when you promoted up inside of a job and you know how to do the minute little details, but now there's a team that's doing that work for you. It's real easy to get sucked back into those details as a leader, and so say you're a foreman on a job site and you have expertise in one specific thing, it's easy for you to get down there and just be paying attention to that, but that's not your job as a foreman. You need to step back and see what the big picture is, so that you're able to see all of the things that are going on so you can prioritize them and uh, uh, figure out what needs to be the priority. Now, it's not to say you can't get sucked down in the details. Absolutely. As a SEAL leader on the battlefield, the detail that I could get sucked into is the front side of my weapon. It's fun to shoot a gun. And that's why I joined the SEAL teams is to be on the trigger. But as a leader, the SEALs that are in the field with me, they are my weapon system. And so while, yeah, there are times I need to be shooting, I I need to be shooting my gun. Those times are very, usually very quick. And then I need to step back and see the big picture and be fighting the other people out there in the field with me. The other thing that uh, it's important to detach from is emotion. And this is, by far and away exponentially harder to detach from than um details are
0: Mm -hmm. because
1: they're they're inside of you and it's important that you practice some mindfulness so that you can notice the red flags when maybe you start to get emotionally attached to an idea or way of doing things you know uh this is classic with being able to change. And this is really difficult when you get stuck in that. This is the way we've always done it trap. And you're not able to adjust. And that, that has to do with your ego. And if someone comes up with a new idea, uh, it may be a better way to do things. And so you need to be able to detach from the ego and look at it and step back and, and see if it is a better way to do things or, or, maybe your pet project is not a priority for the company as a whole and you need to be able to detach from that ownership that you feel that that you're attached to it and it's part of you and go hey this aspect of what the company is doing right now is not the main effort we need to step back and support other portions of uh of what the company's doing so with parenting you know, you apply, prioritize, and execute to that, and like, hey, what, what is the most important thing you've got going on based upon what you've laid out for, for, you know, what, what it works for you for law combat number two is simple, like, where are you going as a parent, and then what is the most important thing that you've got going on, and, you know, sometimes you just have to lay it out there and say, hey, I'm going to let the kids stay up a little bit later tonight or Mm -hmm. I'm going to let the kids, you know, they're laughing and having fun and being loud and maybe they're annoying me, but aren't they just being kids when they're curious about stuff and exploring, isn't their curiosity a good thing? And so that's where you have to detach from maybe being annoyed from that emotion a little bit or being in a big hurry and take some time and prioritize them in there and uh show them how to do things or let them be kids let them bang on pots every once in a while it's just them exploring and learning about the world and 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 those are all great things. and then finally the last law of combat is uh decentralized command. And this is the ideal situation in every organization. And it doesn't happen overnight. It requires a huge investment of your time as a leader to where you've let everybody below you understand uh, what decisions they can make at their level and you've communicated to them what the overall goal or the end state is. So they know what direction they're going and they can problem solve and make decisions at their level without having to come to you for everything. And this is a situation where everybody leads and it is the most resilient way to run any organization. The decisions can get made faster, uh, you can adjust quicker to changing situations and dynamic situations like the one we find ourselves in now when you're running, you know, decentralized command. But again, it doesn't happen overnight. It's something that takes a while as a leader. There are times that you need to micromanage until people are up to the level where they have your trust and then you can step back and they can run things on their own. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, I've been in combat situations where we've had severely wounded people. We were behind enemy lines and our task unit, there were tons of decisions made and calls made and radio transmissions done that just happened to each level without myself or the task unit commander having to give an order. It just happened. We were at that level where our team could make decisions and problem solve. Now, as a leader, Can your team make all the decisions? No, there's stuff that they absolutely have to come to you for. That's why you're the leader. There are decisions that are at your level and it's on you to communicate to your team, hey, these are all the decisions you can make at this level. These ones I need to know about. Um, Overseas, we had what's called the uh, Commander's Critical Information Requirements. And that's where the commanding officer let everybody know, hey, you can, you'll prosecute the, the battle. You know, he's given the left and right flanks of how we could prosecute, say, ISIL, for instance, in 2016-17 when I was in Iraq fighting ISIL. And uh, he said, but here, these are the things that I, I need to know about immediately. And it was very simple. It wasn't that many things, but it was, hey, if someone's wounded or killed on the battlefield, he needs to know about it. If there's press involvement, good or bad, he needs to know about it. If Mm -hmm. there is a a allegation or civilians were injured during any of the fighting, he needs to know about it. And if the someone back home is laid up in the hospital, he needs to know about it. That's not that many things. Mm -hmm. And we knew that we could get out there and prosecute ISIS and fight them and then let him know about our progress and decisions we made at regularly scheduled meetings but if one of those four things happened then as was possible we would let him know about it so decentralized command with parenting you want to get to the level where your kids are making good decisions and doing squared away things when you're not around how do you do that you set the example you monitor them you and then you give them ownership you give mm-hmm. them the ability to hook their own eggs and let them make some mistakes because honestly I, I do my best learning when I make mistakes. I think most people do. It's it's great to get advice, but usually failure is what teaches us the best thing. And so yep. make sure they fail in a manner that's not going to be a failure they can never recover from. Like you don't let them play kickball on a busy street. Yeah. <laughs> but you do allow them to fail so that they can learn from those mistakes. Mm-hmm. And they can learn to navigate life's obstacles on their own. And that's the, that, that's something you're all, somewhere you're always striving to get to. So those are the four laws of combat. Cover and move is teamwork. Simple is basically just boiling down the goal and communicating with your team and, and yourself in, in in a simple manner, uh, in a clear, concise manner, prioritize and execute laying everything out, making a list and knocking that list out by the highest priority. But to do that, you need to be able to detach and then finally decentralize command. And that's the situation where everybody leads. And to get there, you need to give your subordinates some ownership. You need to give your kids some ownership.
0: Yes. Excellent. Very well said and great examples used too. The one thing I'd like to add is and this is something that we, we spoke a lot about detachment there and detaching from motions and the details. And one of the things that you said, I think when you came to speak to my company in Utah, a few months mm-hmm. ago is used a, an example and it struck, it struck a chord with me. And that is like pretending like, or imagining yourself um, flying at 30,000 feet as the leader. And then when you need to get into those details, you know, you zoom in, you come down, but then you can't forget to zoom right back out and get back up to 30,000 feet, you know, so that that um, philosophy there, zooming in and zooming out when you need to, I think is critical as a leader and has helped me kind of get my mind right when it comes to when I need to get in and, and pulling out and making sure I, I get out, you know back to seeing the bigger picture.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that leader who's always at 30,000 feet isn't being the most effective leader and the leader that's sucked into the details all the time certainly isn't either and it's 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 you know, it's it's one of those dichotomies. But for the most part, as a leader, your job is up there at the 30,000 foot view.
0: Mhm. Mhm. Well, bringing leadership now to the present moment, you know, with everything going on right now, with this whole global pandemic, and clearly there's there's a lot of chaos kind of going on right now, so to speak. What what from a leadership perspective would you recommend, or how how should we lead during times like this in in a dynamic situation like like the one we have right now with COVID?
1: So the laws of combat were developed for exactly this type of situation, because this is how our lives were in the SEAL teams. We all, things were always changing. And a lot of times pretty drastically and sometimes very quickly. For instance, we, I I've done a year and a half workup getting ready to deploy to one region. And then a month before deployment, deployed to a completely different region. We've had rules of engagement wow. change, tactics change, um, and you constantly have to adjust. So the laws of combat, if you take them and you apply to what's going on right now with COVID, they're, th- this is what they were built for is the dynamic, the the dynamic atmosphere that we were dealing with in the SEAL teams. And, and they, they apply everywhere. I mean, and really law combat number three prioritize and execute is what you need to be doing. You need to look at everything that's going on right now and there are going to be opportunities and there are going to be setbacks and you need to be able to, to, to detach from what's going on in the moment and maybe detach from some fear or emotion or frustration. And for a lot of people, I think there's a lot of frustration on how the government's reacting to this. Mm-hmm. And and so ask yourself, does the government really want the economy to fail? No, they don't. They they don't want the economy to fail because that's the basis of their power is the tax dollars that they co- collect. So they're doing the best job that they know how to mitigate the risk for the most of us. And it's really a waste of effort to sit around and be mad because there are some, the stores aren't open. The ones that aren't, there are parts of the economy that are shutting down and you being mad about it, isn't going to change the fact that they're shut down. You being mad about it isn't going to change the fact that oil yesterday was like a negative price somehow for a barrel. I don't understand that, but I guess it was a fact. (laughs) And so just, Hey, let's just say oil's $10 a uh, a gallon or or that's what it is. And and gas is under $2 a gallon right now. Okay. Let me step back and look at that. Where can that set my business back and where can I take it? where, Where can we move forward? Where's the opportunity? This is a lot of change coming at us really fast and it's going to force, our lives are going to change. And so we need to look at where we how we're going to change our lives with that. And you need to get back to that 30,000 foot view, like we talked about in prioritize and execute to look around and say, okay, I'm going to change this, this, and this, and
0: here's where there's opportunities and we'll, let's get after them. Amazing okay a couple more questions we got about 10 more minutes we touched on this throughout like the laws of combat when you spoke when went through the laws of combat but want to kind of bring it and recap it is it app- apparent i mean it looks like there's throughout leadership through cover move, simple prioritize and execute decentralized command that there's clearly a dichotomy um, on how we should play and maneuver through the different things that oppose throughout leadership. Can you explain the dichotomy on and elaborate on how you know sometimes we need to be a leader, but also you know sometimes we need to be a follower, and you know sometimes we need to keep things simple, but not too simple. So can you elaborate on on the dichotomy?
1: Sure. I mean, and and we're talking almost another two hour conversation so much so that that's why Leif and Jocko wrote that book, Dichotomy of Leadership. And, uh, um, you know, they talk about the ultimate dichotomy is own it all, but empower others. And so let's just focus on that about what it means to be a good leader and a follower. Well, first of all, if you're being a good leader, you also need to be a good follower. And what, what does that mean? That means when the echelon above you or corporate or whoever is the next level up, unless you're actually the CEO says something that you never, ever wind down or roll your eyes or do anything to undermine them when you're talking to your team or those, those below, below you, because that is just gonna train your subordinates to do the same thing when you put something out that they don't necessarily agree with and they won't have an open mind. A classic example of this is a a, a lot of the, the the policies or paperwork that comes out. And um people will be like, hey, you know, the big office said we got to do this paperwork, it's kind of stupid, we gotta do it. No that's not the right answer. That's not what you say to your subordinates. You say, Hey, we've Mm -hmm. got a new step in the process here. Um, And if you don't understand it, go figure out why you're doing that new, uh, the new paperwork. It's probably in place to save money and uh, make your company more efficient. Mm -hmm. So See how you can do it better. The other portion of it is being a good leader and a follower is empowering your team to lead. You want to constantly be trying to work yourself out of a job. And the leader that runs a team that basically runs itself, it, it, you feel like you're giving up too much, but you're the type of leader that will get promoted in any organization when your team is is basically able to run that efficiently. And so what that, how you execute that is you lay out the goals. Let's say just say the goals of, hey, here's what we need to get done today. We need to move that, let's say, pile of gravel from over here to over there. How are we going to get it done? And you let your subordinates figure it out. And if they come up with a 70% solution that's legal, ethical, and safe, you let them do it their way. Mm -hmm. Because when they have ownership of it and it's their plan, Their efforts, because they own it, will make up for that 30% deficit in what you think is going to be a better way to do it. Now, Mm -hmm. when they're done, you give them feedback in the form of questions like, hey, I know that you used these dump trucks to move that gravel, but had you considered maybe using this tool or this equipment to do it? And so you're not blunting their ego or being condescending to them, but just giving them a good idea. Mm-hmm. This is a great way to deal with, uh, um, you know, the torture genius who feels like they're too smart and is constantly complaining about company policies or whatever. Maybe you're not getting the best effort on them, out of them. Put them in charge of something. It's really hard to complain about a plan when it's your plan. Mm-hmm. And so a classic example of how I would do this, and I'm going to use the example of running a range and training from the SEAL teams. Cause you know, that's, that's really what I have in my experience is uh, let's say I go to John again and I'm like, Hey John, you know, I noticed that you've got a lot of potential. I want to give you a little bit more responsibility. I'd like you to run a, uh, a, uh, our close quarter battle training we have scheduled in two weeks, right? You're really good at this stuff. So we're going to do some training and I want you to be in charge of it. So, hey, you've got everything to, it's all on you. If you need any support, let me know Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and let him know. Now I'm going to be checking up on John because I don't want him to fail. So, Behind the scenes, I'll, I'll be like, for instance, one of the big hiccups when a guy first runs a range is they always forget about medical coverage that we have to have, like medics there covering our range, and they require a 72 hours advance notice for any training evolution they're going to cover. So I'll swing by medical at least 96 hours in advance and see if John has actually scheduled the coverage. Mm. And if he hadn't, I'll bump into John, say in the gym or around the compound somewhere, and say, "Hey, John, how's it going? Running the range? Got everything you need? Y- y'all set?" And uh, you know, invariably he'll say, "Yeah." And then then I'll tell him, I'll say, "You know, the first time I ever ran a training evolution." I forgot or I didn't know that medical needed 72 hours advance notice to uh, uh, be there to cover the range for us. Yeah, I, I mean, isn't that, that? yeah, 72 hours, they need that. So, so like I didn't have it scheduled and then we weren't able to run the range because we didn't have medical coverage and I felt kind of silly. So what do I know John's gonna do right away? He's oh, gonna he's go gonna over gonna to medical call. and make sure he gets the coverage, but he still thinks it's him running the show. I'm just trying to 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 be, shoot, you know, the the bumpers that go over the gutters when you take your kids bowling. You know, that's all I want to be for John because I want it to be his deal, and then he'll get competent and he'll be able to run things. But I'm stepping back and giving him the ownership, and he isn't gonna run that range the way I would do it. But as long as he's doing it in a safe manner. And it's, it's illegal, good. We're moving in the same direction, it's all good. So that's, that's that dichotomy between being a leader, leader and a follower.
0: Great example. That is, that is smooth, handling situations like that. My last question, clearly for leaders and in, in leadership, discipline is important. It's hugely important. What does discipline equals freedom mean? And how does that relate to business and life?
1: Yeah, because when you talk about discipline equals freedom, it doesn't sound like they go together. But the reality is, if you want to have financial freedom, you need to be disciplined with your finances. If you want Mm -hmm. to have the freedom to be healthy, you need to be disciplined on how you exercise and how you eat. So being disciplined, And doing all the things when they need to be done will save you a lot of time and give you a huge amount of freedom. And an example that I I like to use is is like in in school when I got assigned a paper. Uh, Hey, there's a paper due in two weeks. The disciplined approach would be to spend half an hour to 45 minutes every day working on that paper and then getting it turned in on time, and then you have the freedom to do whatever else you want to do with the rest of the day. My approach, usually the procrastinators approach would be to worry about the paper until the Thursday night before it was due on Friday, and then start at 6pm and be up till 2am and get a C plus on the paper, right? Mm
0: -hmm. And then
1: the whole time I was worried about it. And if I'd just been disciplined in my approach, I would have had the freedom to do that. And so you take that and you apply these to everything that you do, whether you're a, a, a business or a person or a parent, and you're disciplined about doing those things that need to be done, making lists and knocking them out prior, priority, it's going to result in a huge amount of freedom for you.
0: Mm-hmm. Freedom of mind, freedom of peace of mind, freedom of time, all of it. Exactly. Excellent. Well, thank you, Jason. To recap for us, how can people get in touch with you? Where can they find you and support you if they have any questions or or want to follow you?
1: So I, I'm a leadership instructor with Echelon Front. We solve problems through leadership. We support a lot of businesses by doing keynotes. We're doing webinars now. And you can find us on echelonfront.com. I am also at uh on Instagram where I post about leadership and parenting and, and just just whatever I'm doing in everyday life at uh mm-hmm. N. And uh to wrap things up Two, just like to talk about uh, uh, the whole thing about being a leader, it starts with you. The first the place you need to look when you're wanting to be a good leader is inside.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: fixing yourself before you worry about fixing your team, because the example that you set is the most important thing uh, that your team is going to take away.
0: Very well said. Well, Jason, thank you again for coming on the podcast. I Really appreciate Kyle, it. Thank, for me. thank you for sharing your experience uh, and all your years of learning leadership and applying it. Cool. Thanks, Kyle.